you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Open in your Bibles, if you would, uh, to Acts chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of Acts 5. So at, perfect, at Bethel, we've been walking through the book of Acts. Um, and, and, and what's happened so far, you know, it's just the really quick recap, right? Uh, Jesus leaves the disciples all on their own after his resurrection. He tells them to wait for the coming of the Spirit. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the Spirit arrives in this big way, and it sort of changes everything. Because for the first time, uh, God's Spirit isn't, um, isn't um, what's the way to put it, isn't... Uh, uh, contained uh, in a temple where you might come and meet God inside a temple after taking special precautions. Uh, and it's not limited to one or two special people for a special job, a uh, special time in history, but actually Acts tells us that God's Holy Spirit is poured out onto all believers. And in that moment, uh, things change. The world changes in this, this fundamental way. And, and so each week as we've uh, walked through the, the book of Acts, we've noticed, uh, and as you, if I encourage you, if you're reading it with us, to stick with us, because um, you'll notice that the whole book of Acts is sort of the answer to this question. Like, what if God's presence uh, didn't have to be contained in a temple in a special place? What if God's presence could be poured out into the lives of everyone? What would happen? And Acts, Acts says that happened, and this is how it changed the world. And, and if it weren't for that spirit pouring out, none of us sit here uh, in a church 2,000 years later on a Sunday morning. Uh, and, and so Acts just, it reckons with the consequences of that, what that's like. And so last week, we talked about how um, God's spirit, uh, when it, it's poured out, God's grace extends further and further than anyone could imagine. Uh, and we talked about what it means to turn away from the way that we're going and turn towards what God is doing. Well, this week um, is, is sort of, uh, is, is one of the most difficult passages, I think, in Acts about God's spirit. Uh, because this uh, passage is, is a lot like that little uh, triangular sign um, with, the, with the little radioactive symbol. This passage is kind of a warning. Um, it's a warning about just how powerful God's uh, spirit is. Uh, and so uh, sitting in here, I, and I, uh, John Johnson's in here. He's our chair. He used to work uh, at, at Prairie Island at the nuclear plant. Uh, and he was telling me, uh, just last week about the, the just uh, repeated training that he used to have to give and do. Uh, and John's job was to make sure that the power contained in that plant, which is very beneficial, very good, uh, didn't become very bad. Is that kind of close, right? The safety inspector. So 
so th the same way uh, that the, the nuke plant across the river is very good, and it, it keeps, I don't know if it keeps our lights on. I, I can't remember what they said at the last Pierce Pepin meeting, but uh, it, keeps, it keeps our lights on. It's also, it's also dangerous, and God's spirit is the same. And I personally, I think modern Christians really struggle with this passage because we, we don't want to think about um, God as, as at all dangerous, at all risky uh, to us, uh, because we, we hold very well to the one truth that God cares and pursues and loves people more than we could, uh, but we forget that sometimes the power of that love um, has, a, has kind of a dangerous side to it. So we're going we're gonna to look at it today. Um, so, so what's happened so far, uh, Peter, filled up by the Holy Spirit, preaches this sermon, right? And thousands of people turn. They do just what what he asked. They turn from the way they're going towards the way the Spirit is leading, and they all stay in the city of Jerusalem, and many of them, uh, they see all kinds of miracles. So sometimes people get healed, which is a really cool miracle, uh, and, and another miracle happens in the, in the chapter, the verses just before chapter 5, another kind of miracle. If you look at, at chapter 4, um, verse 32, um, this to me seems like even a bigger miracle than someone being healed. It says, all the believers were in one heart and mind. They were completely unified. Uh, I don't know about you, but that seems like a miracle. Um, it says that no one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. So they, they were in town. They were taking care of each other. They were sharing possessions. And it actually says, if you jump down to 36, that a guy named Joseph, it says Joseph, a, a Levite from Cyprus, um, who had who was in Jerusalem to celebrate, um, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Uh, so this is a, this totally new community. God's spirit is poured out. People are, are turning their lives like 180 degrees completely around. Everything's changing. Uh, people like Barnabas are selling their land so that they can use the proceeds to take care of this small growing community. And it's, it's amazing. God's spirit is poured out in this generosity and love and healing. And it's, and it's miraculous. And so our text comes just after that. And it's informed by this excitement in the community. Look at what God is doing. Look at what he's leading us to do. Um, and, and so chapter five, and I'm just going to read it. Uh, I've got it later in the sermon on slides, but not, not right now. Um, so this, this is what's next. It says, now a man, this is just after Joseph sells his field, Barnabas sells his field. It says, now a man named Ananias, uh, together with his wife Sapphira, uh, also sold a piece of property. It starts off good, right? This is, this is going good places. Just like Barnabas, they sell a piece of property. Uh, but with his wife's full knowledge, Ananias kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest to put at the apostles' feet. It says, uh, when they get there, it says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied uh, to human beings, but God, when Ananias heard this, um, he fell down and died. And understandably, great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, 
wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, this is the price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they'll carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, and carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Um, oh man, am I, we're trying to jump ahead into the, perfect. Uh, so we can, we can go back. We'll come back to that in a minute too. Um, so, so there's two, um, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in this passage, right? When you, when you hear it, it's, it's a little um, hard to, to read, I think. Um, I, I think it's um, hard to deal with. And frankly, if we weren't walking through Acts, um, uh, this would be one that I would just like, let's just not even talk about Ananias and Sapphira. Like, it's, it's a hard thing to think about. And, and like for me, I know, like... Um, Thinking, um, thinking about that story, it raises all kinds of questions. Um, but the, you know, the main thing that hits me, I don't know about you, is like, one, you know, like, why is it the judgment just so sudden and final? You know, there's not even, like, time to, like, explain what's going on, or it doesn't even feel like there's time for them to say, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry, we shouldn't have done that. You know, we, we repent. It's just, like, it's instant, and the, the judgment is, is harsh, and, and beyond that, um, you know, the author of Acts, Luke, he didn't have to include this story, right? Uh, lots of stuff happened in the early church. He could have easily left this out, but instead he gives it this um, really prominent, prominent place. Um, and, and it's a hard passage to, to look at, I think. And oftentimes we just want to move right past it because it's uncomfortable, it's hard to make sense out of. Sometimes people will offer like really nice packaged explanations for this um, so that we don't have to think about it anymore. Um, but I think today it's important to just let it make us feel a little uncomfortable um, uh, that, that this would happen. Um, but I think in the middle of that discomfort, uh, there are, are two things that shine through. Now, I think this passage is, is put in here as, as a warning, and I think there are kind of two warnings in here, and we're just going to look at, at what they are uh, with, with the scripture together. And, and the two warnings of this, and I think it's on the next slide, but maybe I messed this up a little bit. Perfect. Uh, so these are the two warnings I want you to be watching for. First, uh, this story tells us that Satan, uh, and in the Bible, um, the word Satan has all this interesting stuff attached to it now today, uh, but it really, it means adversary. It's sort of like opposing counsel. So, so uh, Satan, the adversary. And so when um, Peter's talking about Satan, he's talking about God's adversary, um, the, the devil we talk about sometimes, but, but really anybody that, uh, the evil one that opposes God, the, the adversary. Um, so first of all, the, the adversary, Satan, is, is broke. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Satan is broke. And the second thing, just keep in your mind, uh, God uh, and his love is, is like a grizzly. Okay, so these are the two warnings. I think they're twin warnings, just like that, that sign uh, that we looked at on that first slide says, hey, something bad happened here. Don't come anywhere near this place if you want life to go well. Um, these two warnings passed down through thousands of years 
uh, I think are really good for us to hold on to. One, Satan is broke. God's adversary is broke. And God is a, is a grizzly. Um, so I, I think these are really important uh, because, I, and, and we'll sort of... Um, sort of hit this in something he said he said earlier a lot of times i think in popular culture and in the world we think of of good and evil as these big uh, equal forces uh you know if you watch star wars there's the dark side and the light side and and we don't know who's going to win in star wars actually there's this idea that there has to be a balance between good and evil in the universe and it's uh it's like that in in popular culture we think you know Will, like, good ever really defeat evil? Because evil is so powerful and cunning and crafty and good, sometimes doesn't seem all that powerful. We have this, and it's kind of a wrong idea. Uh, it's very contrary to what, what the Bible says. Uh, because, again, uh, first of all, uh, Satan, the adversary, evil, is broke. So let's take a look at that first slide. It says, what do they hope to gain at the top? Uh, so this is the, the passage again, the very beginning. So as you're thinking about this story, this amazing miracle is happening. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, they decide they want to be a part of this in some way. And so uh, the adversary, who um, in, in Luke and Acts um, only comes up a few times. Uh, Satan only comes up a few times. It's funny. Uh, one time Jesus uh, says, uh, get away from me, Satan, to Peter, <laughs> when Peter says, uh, I'll never let you go to the cross. Jesus says, get away from me, adversary. Another time is when Jesus is tempted and tested in the desert. Uh, and and the, another time is when Judas agrees to betray Jesus. It's said that, that Satan, the adversary, uh, inhabited him. And so now again, one more time, uh, Peter says that, that Satan has filled up Ananias. Uh, and, and as I was reading this, it, it made me think, you know, that, that main question, right? As they're planning this deception, they've sold their field, they want to be generous, and they want to be seen as more generous than they actually are. You know, that's what this lie is all about. You know, Barnabas sold his field, we're going to sell our property, and everybody's going to look at us and see. Um, and, and so if you think about what they hope to gain, like what what were Ananias and Sapphira hoping for? What was, what was the adversary promising them? What was the best that could possibly happen if you're them in this situation, do you think? Like, what's the best thing that happened? Say Peter doesn't notice. God's spirit doesn't notice what happened. Like, what's, like, the best thing that can happen is maybe Ananias and Sapphira get, like, another nice little line in Acts, right? Or the people in the community, maybe they're like, yeah, you know, like, good job, guys. You know, that's like, to me, that's like the best case scenario. Um, it cost them their lives to get that little bit of extra praise. Um, it cost them their lives to get that little bit of extra security, maybe, and holding some of that money back. They weren't ready to go. Um, I think too often we, we inflate what, um, what evil, what the adversary, what going against the way of the Spirit can give us. I think sometimes um, if we're tempted to lie, you know, we think if I were just to, to lie in this way, it would really help me at work. You know, I could get through this thing and my life would, would be great. Or, or maybe like when you're a kid growing up, you're, you want to cheat on that test, right? And you think, oh, if I just cheat on this test, like things things are going to get better. I remember when I was a kid, I used to think, 
growing up in church about all the stuff that I was missing out on. Um, oh, I can't, you know, go to that party or I'm not, like, getting drunk with my friends or whatever at the time. Like, oh, I'm just missing out on so much. Um, I think sometimes we think by not uh, taking uh, the offers of the adversary, we're, we're missing something. We think, if I'm going to make a deal with the devil, it's going to be to get something really, really good. You know, it's going to be worth it. You know, you talk about culturally like he sold his soul. And you never sell your soul for like garbage. You sell your soul to be super rich, right? Uh, but, but the truth is, um, when we make a deal with the devil, more often than not, we find out that Satan is broke, he doesn't actually have much to offer us. Um, I think the evil one loves to make deals with us, loves to manipulate and influence us, um, because he, he really can't give us much. Um, uh, the way the Bible talks about the world, the way Christians believe in the world, God is the creator of whom everything flows out of. He's the source of everything. Uh, evil, on the other hand, can't make anything, can't create anything. All evil can do is twist and lie, and shift. Sin and evil uh, can never produce the kinds of life that God is offering. So uh, he makes a deal, Satan, the adversary, with as little as he can. Uh, evil lies. It offers us a cheap version of God's promises, half measures of our own birthrights. Just like uh, Jesus in the desert, uh, Satan says, um, if you worship me, you can rule the whole world. And one, of course, we know that Jesus is already on track to ruling the whole world. The evil one tries to give him something he already has. Uh, so that's our first, uh, our first thing to remember, our first warning. And whenever we're facing temptation, whenever uh, the, the spirit of the world or the adversary is, is leading us to make compromises because we think it's going to be a nice, easy shortcut, we've got to remember Satan, Satan's broke. His whole game is to trick us into thinking we can get more than we really can. Uh, and so then we move on to the next question. So they hope to gain uh, such a pittance for their sin. Just like Judas, only 30 pieces of silver. The evil one doesn't have much to offer us. Uh, and the second question I think that's raised, and it's the second warning is what? Uh, why is it that God acts the way that he does? And you can move on to the next slide. Perfect. Um, the second question raised by this is, why does God act so swiftly, right? Um, instantaneously, no time for argument, no time for debate, no time for even repentance. Both Ananias and Sapphira, they, they keel over. Uh, now, you might think this is something that happens a lot in Scripture, uh, but it almost never happens in Scripture. This is one of um, the very, very few occasions where someone meets the consequences of their sin so immediately. Um, just like it, it doesn't always happen in life. I don't know about you, but I've found uh, when I've done things wrong, it's taken a long time for my chickens to come home to roost. Um, but, but here, it's a, it's a little different. And so we should ask ourselves, why is the Spirit acting like this in, in this moment, at this exact moment? Well, I think uh, while we, we, we pump up the power of sin and evil sometimes, I think we, we minimize um, God's power in our minds, right? We want that, that epic battle of good and evil, and they've got to be equals. And we, so we make evil a lot stronger and offers a lot more 
uh, than it really offers, and we make God a lot smaller than God really is. And I think it has to, I think uh, our answer to this question has to do with this. We often deflate God's power. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes we think about evil as, as scheming and, and able to really control us. Uh, but we turn around, <laughs> and while we fear evil's control, we, we imagine that we can control God ourselves. Uh, while we fear evil's control, we uh, try and carry God around in in our pocket. Um, you know, I think for many of us, especially people in the church that uh, connect with God all the time, we, we think about God as, as, a, as, you know, like that really good friend that's nice to have around to make sure everything goes well in our lives. Uh, we deflate our imaginations of who he is. We take God's agency away. We make him smaller, less powerful, and less holy in our minds. Uh, God, I think for many of us in the, in the church in the West, is sort of a like a, a holy vending machine, you know, best case, you put in enough quarters and God will give you the things that you want. Uh, maybe if you're not into, into the vending machine, maybe God is your rich uncle that sends you, sends you checks every once in a while and he's a pretty nice guy. Or, or maybe God is a nice, sweet teddy bear that you carry around with you and when you're scared, you can cling on really tight to him, but he doesn't have any uh, will or direction of his own. I think that's the image of God that Ananias and Sapphira might have had when they lied, right? God is somebody that comes along with me. God is somebody that I can lie to and he won't notice or respond or care. Sometimes we think maybe God is, is, is ignorant of the ways that we take advantage of and abuse grace and others. I think we think he's blind uh, to the things that we do and the ways that sometimes we, we take the gifts of faith and we hold them over other people. We think God is a soft teddy bear there to comfort us and not much else. But we got to look at the text, right? Uh, God is not um, fooled by Ananias and Sapphira, uh, and I think beyond that, God acts in this moment when he doesn't act in so many others um, because Ananias and Sapphira, they're, they're looking to manipulate God's grace for their own advancement. Um, you know, um, uh, as the church is starting off, you know, we talked about this last week, didn't we? There were so many people that fought against the church, Right? There were the Roman soldiers. Did any of the Roman soldiers drop dead when confronted with, with God? No, no. Um, there was a guy named Saul who was, who was going to the homes of Christians to find them so that they could be uh, arrested and punished and maybe even killed. Did, did God ever show up and strike Saul dead? No, he didn't. He didn't. Um, uh, there were also, as we go through Acts, we'll notice that the early church, they'll go into the pagan cities all over the Roman Empire. People that don't even uh, care at all about the God of Israel. Uh, many of them will reject the message. They'll turn their backs. They'll make things hard for the Christians. Does God strike the evil, godless pagans dead? No. No, he doesn't. The only people that face that kind of punishment are people that are, one, already pretty close to God and his work, and who are standing in a place to try and take advantage of God's grace. 
I think uh, in this moment, as Ananias and Sapphira are doing something that to you and me seems small and insignificant, God sees the way that their manipulation might stand in the way of people that he loves, of people that he's seeking out. God is not mocked. God is not a teddy bear, but a mother grizzly. And I think Ananias and Sapphira, they, they stepped between the mom grizzly and, and her cubs. I, I really do. In that moment, they stepped between with that small lie between God's spirit and his love and his power and the amazing things that he was doing, and they, and they put um, it at risk, the people that God was trying to seek out with their own manipulation and selfishness. Did everybody, anybody see that video this week of the, the woman that pushed the bear off the fence? <laughs> because the, the bear was going to get at her dogs. That time she was the mama grizzly, and so she got right between. Uh, but you'll notice that uh, while she shoved the bear and ran away, she did not stand between the bear and her cub, right? Because when you get between the bear and her cub, uh, it's not going to work out good for you. And I think that's exactly what happens to Ananias and Sapphira. God will not allow their deal with the devil to get between him and lost people that he loves. And Acts reminds us over and over again, you'll notice it, that though God is good and his love is so powerful, he is not safe. Just like that grizzly bear's love for her cub is good and powerful, but it is not safe to anyone that stands between her and her child. The truth is God is more like that grizzly than the teddy bear. Satan is broke. The deals that he makes with us are not going to cut it, and God is a grizzly, my friends. Acts 5 shows us that the biggest threat to the church isn't Romans or Jewish jails or violent, vicious men like Saul or pagan cities and temples. Instead, it's people who claim to be close with God and abuse his grace to take advantage of people. Because the evil one is looking for a bargain. He's not looking to convince the converted. He's looking to subvert those closest to Jesus and do the most damage possible. He's looking to draw us in between God and his love and the people that he loves. But God is a mama grizzly and God is not willing to let that evil subvert the church and God's grace in that moment. We don't see what happened to Ananias and Sapphira in, in the rest of, of the New Testament, really. There's a couple other examples of people getting too close to that hot Holy Spirit and getting into trouble, but, um, and we don't, we don't see it too much today in our lives. I mean, I don't know anybody that's done something wrong and faced the consequences for it right away, but... Um, I think we still face the judgment. <laughs> Usually the death comes. It's just slower. And so as the church today, we are invited to take heed of this warning left for us. Because in the same way, the biggest threat to our church and the gospel and, and what God is doing today is not people far away like Roman soldiers. It's, it's those of us that are close by that risk standing between God and the people that he's seeking out. God is a grizzly who loves the world with dangerous ferocity, 
So when we approach the table, when we approach people in the world that God loves with dangerous ferocity, may we approach him standing on the sacrifice of Jesus. May we approach him well aware that the worst thing we can do is get between that mother grizzly and her cubs. So today we come to the table and we eat uh, a little piece of bread and we drink uh, a little bit of grape juice and we do that as a reminder as um, we believe it's actually God's present in this sacrament. And it's funny, the other time in the New Testament where, where people face sort of immediate judgment um, is, is, around, is around communion, is around the table. Uh, it happens in a church that is uh, coming to eat and to drink, to receive from God while rejecting other people. They're doing it improperly. They're not waiting for others to eat. They're, not, uh, they're, they're abusing that grace. And so when we come to this table every, every month we do, uh, we pray a prayer of confession, and that's meant to remind us and give us all an opportunity to say, you know, am I standing in, in the way of God's grace for someone? Is my bad relationship with someone uh, preventing them from coming to know who God is? Is my sin against somebody, if that's the case, I ought I to leave and make things right with them? And so when we approach the table, we approach it humbly and standing on the sacrifice of Jesus. We're invited to approach the holy God to take care with our words, to approach him and our brothers and sisters. We approach God freely to receive from him, but careful not to use or try and manipulate God to get some small goal and instead receive from him his offering. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you love us and you love this world with the ferocity of a mother grizzly. You love and care about people so much. So much that you offered yourself freely to die at their hands. And when the moment came to punish those that killed your own son, instead, you said, turn and follow me. My grace is sufficient for you. And so as we approach this table, Lord, we admit our failure and we stand on your grace because of the death and resurrection of your son. Help us to receive what you're offering graciously and stay far out of the way of the love that you care to show to the people of this world. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.